Welcome to Intelligogy with Tracy Browder, where together we will disrupt educational normalcy. I am beyond excited to introduce my guest, Stephen Hurley. Good evening, Stephen. Tracy, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad to have you. Um, I have to tell you, Stephen Hurley is actually the whole reason behind Intelligogy, the podcast. So I'm thankful for him on so many levels. Um, I, I'm introducing you to Stephen. He has 30 years of classroom teacher experience. He's been a curriculum consultant. He is a teacher educator. And the, the project and the, the, the entity, the organization, the, the, the thing that brings so much joy to educators is his project, his radio station. I, I, I love to, it, it's amazing, but he's the architect and chief catalyst of Voice Ed Radio. You can download the app. You can access it on the internet. It is 24 hours a day of educational listening stimulating, thought-provoking, their podcast, live broadcast. Stephen, is there anything else you want to add that I might be missing? Well, just that we have started to go out to uh, conferences and and live education events and and just uh, embed our studio there and capture conversations. So it's the live broadcasting, the live events, and the, and the podcasts, and a few blogs as well. It's amazing. It's so, every time I hop on to listen, I, I'm always learning. I'm always enlightened. And I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you for giving educators that space and platform to inspire other educators. Oh, it's so nice of you to say that. It's the end of the day when we're recording this, but you have made my day. Thank you. You are so welcome. So I was looking on your blog and your website, and I, I quoted and captured something you said that really leads into the purpose of our time together this evening. You have a dream for living and learning in the 21st century. And right now we are in the midst of a global pandemic and pretty much all around the globe, we are in shelter in place mode. And that definitely has impacted education as we know it. Um, schools are closed and, and, and we're doing a lot of remote learning. So the, the conversation I wanted to have with you is what is that new look of learning and the learning design going forward as we, as we prepare to return back to school? So when we have this forward thinking conversation, what are your thoughts around the new look of learning? Well, I think we're we're um, in a really interesting time, and and you know the the tragedy and the, and the sadness that uh, that many of our communities are facing, notwithstanding, uh, there are a, a number of conversations that are starting to happen that maybe shouldn't be happening now. I think we should have been ready for something like this. You know, when you look back, uh, the World Health Organization back in 2007 uh, started to recommend that uh, school districts uh, right around the world gear up for something like this. And I think we've been mm -hmm. caught a little, um, it seems off guard, but not really. So w when you ask that question, uh, you know, a part of me says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm excited for this time rather sheepishly because we should have been excited for a time like this uh, much sooner. So uh, I think the time we're in is really helping us to become more attentive and more attuned to the different types of learning that different 
types of people are engaged in. And, and it's interesting. Um, I had a conversation yesterday with John Falk, who's the CEO or the executive director of the Institute for Learning Innovation, and he's based in Oregon. And the Institute for Learning Innovation is really designed to talk about self-choice or free choice learning. And on their website, they claim that only 5% of our lifetime learning takes, in, takes place inside a classroom. So where's the other 95% taking place and why is it taking place? You know, what, what's, uh, what are the catalysts for learning uh, outside of the classroom? And I think that's the kind of uh, attentiveness that I think we need to be uh, having at this time. Uh, where else are we learning? So, so to say, okay, everybody out of the pool, we're going to uh, go to our homes, we're going to turn on our computers, and we're going to engage in learning. Well, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't think that's really happening. But I think it's a time where we can say, yeah, where are the places that we can be learning and how can we uh, envision schools to leverage some of those learning experiences more? And I, that's probably the vaguest question, you, uh, vaguest answer you've had to a question all day. So I'm going to stop and I'll let you uh, let you go. Well, you know, actually not vague because that open platform that we have now, the new canvas for learning, you're absolutely right. I mean, we have proven as a world that education doesn't happen within the walls of a school. And and we're we're within short notice, just like you said, we we should have been prepared for this, but um I, I know as an educator myself. <laughs> we had to do this on the fly yeah. and and resiliently so but it's proven to me that um number one we can learn differently we can teach differently learning design can be different we we've we've done this whole remote learning mindset shift in really a matter of, for for me as an educator two weeks it took us to kind of wrap our heads around it get a game plan from the administrative level and take off running two weeks that that's all it took to completely change education as we know it so i just i, I don't want to see us and i don't think anybody will but i don't think i don't want to see us go back to normal i want to i want to see us have a new normal and like you said, with, with, with education not being confined within the walls of a building, let's talk about inquiry-based and exploratory-based learning. How do you see that playing a role? Well, I think we have to start listening to the learners a little more. And I think when we do that, then we're going to, uh, we're going to find that learning will take place um, much more naturally. And I think that learning is a natural thing. And I will give you a couple of examples. Um, I have a reluctant school um, uh, child. Well, he's not reluctant. He loves school, but he doesn't go to school to really learn. He goes to school to be with his friends and to, uh, to play, and he's 13. And uh, so this time has been kind of a, a, a real transition and a transformational time for him because it's given him the space away from that place that he, he goes to, but he'd rather not be at, if you know what I mean. Uh, and so during this time, he has done two things and had done them voraciously and done them with a sense of commitment that I have never seen before. The first is he's 
really taken a deep dive into the world of chess. Now, this is a sort of a not a he's not a, a kid that you would anticipate being really interested in chess. But we we learned as as a father and son, and he it wasn't long before he was beating me at chess, and I you know was really trying. But in the past three weeks, he has watched videos. He has uh, signed up for courses. He has uh, entered tournaments on chess.com. And he has just, uh, just before we came on together to chat, chat tonight, you and I, he uh, beat his uncle, who thinks he knows everything, um, five times. And wow. uh, he is excited. He said, Daddy, I have to show you a couple of moves. You're just going to be amazed. And he's very analytical. And this is really so he's learned chess to a level that um, I didn't expect. And the second thing he did, Tracy, I have a, a grand piano and I'm a piano player and I love playing. And um, I haven't played much during this time because I like to be alone when I play. And I've been waiting for my two boys to kind of take an interest in that. They're interested in music. And and, and Luke, uh, my 13-year-old, plays the trumpet in the jazz band, but he's never really taken to the piano. Well, he has spent, again, over the past two weeks, he said, can you help me with a little bit of this music? But after that, he's taken off. He plays over an hour a day. Uh, I have to fight him for time on the piano and I have to go up and tell him when I'm recording because I'm recording a lot now, um, you know, that he's going to have to wait. And so those two things lead me to believe that maybe, maybe, you know, thinking we have it right just in this, in this short time that we've been doing this, maybe we need to uh, take a different look. And I think we need to really be attuned to what the listener or what the listeners, what the readers, what the, what am I thinking? What the learners <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> asking us, uh, asking us for it. And that takes a different type of uh, disposition, I think. You know, you, 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 you just hit something that, oh my goodness, what would education look like if we genuinely created an environment of student-driven learning. Um, it, our sons must be kindred spirits because my son, um, too, he, he's 14 years old. And when he has the freedom to just explore the things he's passionate about, that's when he thrives. And his passion is um, serving others in the community, grassroots organization. And when, when he gets in that mode, um, it, it might be one or two in the morning and we're still researching and, and, and creating flyers and things like that. So when you're right, when we just, I hate to say agenda, cause it's not an agenda, but when we stop doing what we think we have to do to teach kids and really listen to what is it they want to do? And, and how can those two things meet in the middle? So I have a question for you. Um, I've been, there's been a lot of discussion about the genius hour that a lot of schools have. Um, what are your thoughts around a genius hour? I mean, personally, I would hope that it wouldn't just be an hour that we get to be creative and have that freedom to explore. What are your thoughts around that? Well, I, I have to tell you, I push back against um, the Genius Hour um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, I see it 
kind of as I, I we looked at Google and asked what they were doing, you know, in their corporate structure and and how do they motivate people, and that's one of the things they do. I believe it's Google that gives their employees uh, is it thirty percent time or twenty percent time during their week to kind of do their own projects, right? Uh, and it works because it motivates and it and it energizes, and they I think they get higher productivity and better creativity out of their workers. Um, but I think kids are different. I think kids are genius. <laughs> you know, they have genius and ingenuity. And I think saying, okay, you get to do that on my terms for an hour a week or even an hour a day when we should be flipping that and saying, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to, um, we're going to come into your life in a formal way for maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half a day. But other than that, let's structure this place we call school to uh, leverage and really raise up that natural curiosity. And, you know, you you mentioned your son, um, you know, when he's given that freedom, I think all kids are like that. I think all adults are like that when they're given the freedom to go off on their own. uh, Maybe not too much, but maybe we need some structure, right? We need some structure. Um, they, 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 they take off. And that's not to say we don't need those formal learning um, structures or those formal learning pieces. You know, we all need to know certain things about living in our world. But I think we probably in our our schools try to try to do too much, too often. I I, I agree with you fully, and and like you, the whole genius hour, like this, this one, this, we get this one little segment where you can be creative that, that the very term genius hour is contradictory just in itself, because it's, it's saying that we put the creativity in this box and it can only come out at a certain time. And I I think we've proven in, in this space that we're in right now, it pencil and paper is not it's not the best way for kids to learn. And I, I think conversations need to happen around the value is what value is there in standardized testing? Um, I, I just, I see oh, so many conversations that need to happen. I, I don't think, um, I do think rather that parents are stakeholders now in a completely different way. Would you yeah. agree? Yes, absolutely. And they need to be. If they're not, they need to be. And I I, uh, I even prefer a different term. I, I like to call parents and, and other people in the community shareholders because I think we have this, this, um, this gift that we are surrounding and embracing and the, that gift is our children and, and this, uh, this generation. And um, it's not as much, we don't claim, we don't stake a claim on their lives. But we have a share in their lives and, and we benefit from them doing well and they benefit from us doing well. And so I think the language we use around school and, and even um, the relationships in school are, they really reveal what, what our true beliefs are. And so I think we, you know, but I, but I agree. I, I mean, you can, don't get me off on a tangent. Um, I get myself off in enough of them. Uh, but yes, I think, I think the relationship between uh, schools, I think if we're going to expect, and it will happen again in the future, I don't know. Um, it could be uh, three months down the road. Once we go back, it could be three years down the road. It might be 
30 years down the road, but we will have to face this again. And we, one thing that we do know is that we can't expect parents to pick up the slack if we're not involving them in the slack, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you know, during, during times of, of during non-pandemic times, let's say. Right. Right. So we, it, it, it's fine to ask them to fundraise and sell pizzas and hot dogs and things like that. But this is much more, we're placing many more demands on them now. We're not asking them to put cheese on the pizza. We're asking them to do something much, much deeper. You're absolutely right. And when we return to school, they won't expect to return to normal as we once knew it. They want to be those partners and those shareholders in this whole education process. I think parents will have a different expectation now. We can't take it all back. It's 50-50 now, if not 60-40 even. Um, What do you think that's going to mean? You know, Stephen, I I think it has to happen. This is what I would hope. I would hope first and foremost that educators, meaning the teachers, the administrator, will come together when we safely can or even on Zoom calls and, and start having that dialogue. How? How can we embrace the parents and bring them in on a larger scale than they've ever been before? How can we continue to place, to empower them in the learning process? That's going to be a dialogue that's going to have to happen. And and I don't think, I, I know I said administrators and educators, but why not have a roundtable discussion with the principals and, and, and teachers and parents, bring them into the conversation on the front end. Um, I, I think that's going to be the mindset shift that has to happen is it's, it's often been heavy on the educator side and we're making the decisions. I don't see that being the case anymore. I think parents have to come to the table with us. I think they'll want that, appreciate it, value it. And the relationships going forward are going to be, they're going to flourish so much more as a result of that kind of relationship. Well, you know, we have a, um, we have a podcast uh, here that Nancy Angevine Sands does. And she borrowed a phrase from a parent or family engagement consultant in the UK, I believe. And the title of her podcast, and I think it's, it's powerful is schools don't own education. And I think if we take that seriously, we realize that, uh, and, and we've, we've said for many years, some people have said that parents don't own children, right? We're, we're not the owners of the children. Um, and I think if we give up that sense of ownership and that sense of territory and realize that we are a community and, and, you know, we have a, we have a share and we all have a role to play. And you know what I think could happen in the next several months, you know, we'll get through the summer. And if we're still in this place in September where we're going to have to do social distancing and, and be very careful about the contacts that we have, I think that the community spaces that we think are only valuable for our families and our children on the weekends and in the evenings might become powerful learning spaces. So why can't we have qualified teachers in community centers? And why can't we have qualified teachers in, uh, in sports facilities in our community and in theaters in our community and uh, in cinemas in our community doing the work of, 
education out in the community, but making it more authentic and more based in what kids uh, are interested in doing and could be interested in doing. So, so I think we're, we're not going to be able to congregate kids uh, in the same spaces in the same way. So why not think beyond the school walls and in the spaces outside our, of those walls in our community and really think deeply about how they can become active learning spaces? Active learning spaces and just broadening and expanding the, the practice of education as we know it. Um, all of these spaces that you mentioned, these places are where our children learn how to be what they want to be, and yeah. we should meet them where they are. Yeah. Um, I would love to see that happen, Steve, and more than you know it. So what's holding us back? What's, I mean, there are things holding us back, but what, what do you see as, as being some of the, some of the, uh, the challenges to that? I think more conversations like this need to happen in the right places. Um, I, I, I think, I just don't think we're having enough of these conversations and, and really pushing to move forward. And I know part of that is we've gone through such an emotional roller coaster right now. I mean, you know, lives are being changed. Generations are being lost. This this whole global pandemic is absolutely devastating. And a lot of us are still managing the space that we're in right now. But ultimately, forward thinkers, where are we having these conversations? Are we having these conversations with people that can impact change? Um, school boards, for instance. So I, I think I'd like to see more things like that happen and not just passive conversations, because a lot of these conversations are happening, but what are we doing with these conversations? Right. right. So the conversations are actually nouns and not verbs, right? Yeah. Are we, are we talking to our state boards of education? Um, where, where are we getting our voices amplified where it counts? So how do we do that? Yeah. You you mentioned something. Oh, go ahead, Stephen. No, no, go ahead. This is this is your conversation. I'm, no, I'm, no, so, used, I'm, so, I'm so used to. Uh, uh, well, I, well, I'm I'm wondering, you know, it, because they are community conversations, but they're also policy conversations, and and I think we need to, I think we need to get those. You're right, the, those people together around the table, um, with kids, with young people. I mean, sometimes we leave them out of these consultations and these focus groups. Uh, and and let them lead the conversations. Uh, not that not that every ten uh, year old is going to be able to tell you what they want and what they need, um, but I think their voices are are important in this. They absolutely are, and I just hope we don't miss it. And I know right now there's so much preparation in trying to figure out what does the return to school look like that I just don't feel like. I don't feel like space is being given to this aspect of the conversation. So yes, we have to return to school and there's so many pieces to that puzzle. I get that. But what does that return to school look like when it comes to the learning piece of it? And speaking of the learning piece, um, I, I want to talk to you about something else before we run out of time. Um, you shared something that I was going to hit on Um you said the language should change. The language that we use as educators when we talk about parents as our partners, when we talk about educating the kids, there's this one phrase that I want to talk about that I'm hearing 
over and over and over. And I'm finally starting to hear some educators voice the same concern that I have. There's a lot of talk about when we go back to school, we're going to have to focus on filling gaps, filling gaps, filling Mm -hmm. gaps. And I get that we will have some needs to be met. But to me, when I hear the term filling gaps in this situation, like we're going to have to hurry up and get back and fill gaps. Well, what we're saying is that our the parents as our partners um, just didn't do a good job. And I know it's true that we will have to do some assessing and some differentiation of instruction. That's just good teaching. So I wish that we wouldn't put this big label, and, and that's where all the energy is right now, is the focus on filling gaps. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I think you're right, Tracy. And and you know we use a lot of deficit thinking when we talk about uh, students and and achievement and and test scores and and uh, you know even when we compare uh, states and provinces and countries, uh, it, it tends to be deficit thinking. Uh, I think the gaps that need to be filled, and there are gaps, and and the, and some of them should be filled, but they're not the ones that we we think of. They're not. Uh, based on what a student didn't learn or, uh, heaven forbid, learned but forgot, which means they probably didn't learn it in the first place. But I think the gaps that need to be filled are the ones that are um, staring us in the face around equity, uh, around uh, some of those socioeconomic uh, gaps that that we know and have known for years impact uh, a student's chance of making it not only in school but in the world. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of the gaps that have been revealed around access to technology uh, and, and, and the needs that, that different students uh, have if they are going to be able to su- successfully navigate uh, the systems of education. And I think those ones, we stand to ignore, continue to ignore those if we get back and just try to get everyone caught up. Exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly right. You know, um, as you said, access, I was jotting it down to make sure that I kind of hit on that because that's what this, this, that's what this shelter in place and, and remote learning has revealed is, is a lot of what we already knew, but we, we don't address it. We just continue to function is, is the, um, all of the inequities that exist in in our various communities and and access to technology, access to income, even where where some people are just trying to figure out how to keep food on the table. Um, th- there's so many conversations to happen around that, and you know it, this this whole gap filling thing. Um, how, what about even before instructional needs are met? Um, that social emotional piece, um, the, these kids' lives have been turned upside down. So we need to be celebrating back that we're back together. We need to be reassuring kids and just really meeting them where they are emotionally before we take off into the academics. Don't you think? Oh, I think so. I think so. And, uh, I don't think we understand completely the impact that this time of isolation, uh, is having on not only uh, students, uh, young people, uh, but also the adults. 
And, you know, we, we, our mind immediately goes often immediately goes to technology when we talk about accessibility and access. Um, but think of, uh, think of kids in areas where they don't have the advantage of space. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I was listening to a radio program the other day and the, and, uh, the radio host was asking people to think of the sounds that they're hearing now that they've never heard or can't remember hearing in a long time. And, you know, people were, um, we're talking about nature and talking about uh, the silence and, and birds and springtime. One lady phoned up and said, I'm hearing kids. And she was quite irritated because she lives in an apartment building and the families that are usually at school during the day are now home. And she said, it is so noisy. I can't get anything done. But I'm also thinking about those kids that can't leave that apartment uh, to go out and play in the park. They can't leave to go out, uh, you know, to, on the way to school and and meet up with other friends. They're going stir crazy. I live in a house. I have enough space. My family and I can get, can get relatively close, but we can also separate in this space. That's a luxury. And that's, um, that's a, a privilege that not everyone has. So when we're talking about gaps, I think we have to be aware of all of the gaps and which ones can we fill, which ones, you know, from an equity, from a, a human rights perspective need to be filled before we have any other conversation. So I think it's, I think I'm so glad you brought that up because I think it's, a, it's an important piece of language to, to explore. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Stephen, I sure would like to thank you for uh, joining me this evening and taking time away from your very busy schedule. Um, I, I hope that this conversation has created some conversation around the topics that we discussed. Um, so friends, if you would like to continue to connect further with Stephen, I, I'd encourage you to download the app Voice, um, excuse me, Stephen, VoiceEd.ca. Now, Stephen, when they look it up, it's VoiceEd.ca, right? That's the website. Now, if they're looking for the app on the App Store or the Google Store, it's VoiceEd Radio. So we are VoiceEd Radio Canada. Um, you'll be able to find the app there. And uh, you'll be, that, that will connect you to our live stream. So you'll be able to connect with everything that's happening live uh, and uh, in the 24-7 uh, stream of content. But to get to the to get to the uh, the archived content and the uh, library of podcasts, and we have over 135 now, uh, including yours. Uh, they they go to voiced.ca and uh, they'll find everything there. And if they can't, tell them to contact me. Contact me. Let me know. Absolutely, reach out. And and speaking of contact, let's give them some ways to do that. So on Twitter, you are at Stephen underscore Hurley, correct? Stephen with a PH. Thanks to my mom. <laughs> and Hurley is H-U-R-L-E-Y. And then also I learned that um, Voice Ed also has a Twitter handle. Can you give the listeners that Twitter handle? Sure. It's Voice Ed Canada. Got it. Got it. Stephen, thank you again for taking time out of your schedule. And friends, this is all the time we have. And we'd like to thank you for joining us at Intelligogy, where together we will disrupt educational normalcy. Until next time. <laughs>